Come on, let's give Jesus an ovation of worship. Everybody lift your voice. Man, it feels good in here. All of our campuses. Let's welcome in all of our campuses. Everybody watching online. Come on, let's welcome your church family in. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are the best looking person here. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't say anything. Like one guy back there was like, nope. All right. <laughs> I love you guys, man. What an honor it is to be with each and every one of you. If you're very first time here, thank you so much for coming. My name is Jeremy. And we are uh, four, uh, four campuses, one church, getting ready to launch a fifth campus in Tanzania. We have thousands of people that watch online. And uh, I'm excited about what God's doing. Are you guys fired up about what God's doing at our church? I'm excited about it. I do want to tell you, thank you for the way that you've given towards the silos and the commitments. I know that we have more people that uh, weren't here last weekend. You can still get those commitments in over the next couple of weeks. But I can tell you this, we are really close to the finish line. I believe we're going to close on that property. I'm excited about it. So fired up. We'll be... We'll be letting you know more about that, but uh, and then um, we have we have turned our eyes towards Easter. Um, you you heard about Easter? You kind of know what's going on. We celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus on that day, and it is the Christian Super Bowl. Okay, like. If without Easter, none of this even matters, right? But because of Easter, we celebrate what Christ has done. And so I want to make sure that you get invite cards at all of our campuses. Um, we do something on Easter that we don't do any other time of the year. All of our campuses come together under one roof. We rent a 10,000-seat arena. We have four services in that arena. And it's amazing to see your entire church family come together, worship together. And there are people who will not come to church with you any other time of the year, but they will come on Easter. So I want to encourage you to invite those people. You ought to have people in your head right now that you're like, okay, I need to get them to Easter. So it's going to be fun. We launch a new series this weekend entitled Patient Zero. But before we jump into that, it is a Final Four weekend. Anybody excited about the Final Four? How many of you guys have a team that has won? How many of you guys do not care? Raise your hand. Okay, God bless you. That's that's the vast majority. When LSU was out, I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm out. Um, but I do, I want to show you something today that basketball teaches us, and it's something that God gave us. You have something that God gave you that unless you have some challenges, you really can't do anything about this. Like, God gave you this, and I'm going to show it to you, okay? Wish somebody had a basketball. Anybody got a basketball? Look, sit. That's weird how you brought one to church. All right, toss it here. Okay, that was the plan. All right, um, so I want to show you something. Everybody look alive. First, first few rows, look alive, okay? Put your coffee down. Put your notes down, put your phones down, so you keep filming. It's okay. That's where she was like, oh, I'm filming. Oh, God, it's going to come right towards me. All right, um, so get me. <laughs> this guy's like, I'm ready. Okay, since you're ready, there you go. All right, all right, there you go. All right, back at me, back at me. There we go. Well done. Okay, um, all right, Ken, I, I know you're sports. All right, Mr. Sports. All right, okay, now, okay, you ready? All right, it's coming back at you. Okay, there he goes. Well done. Come on, WNBA. All right, let's go. You almost took me off the front of this stage, girlfriend. So what you're watching is action, reaction. Okay? Action, reaction. Good catch. She was like, oh. it's called an action and then reaction. Okay? So you're watching. So when there's an action, there's an automatic reaction. Okay? So if I throw it at you and you're not ready for it and it hits you upside the head, you held your hands up. You were like, I'm ready. And then you were like, oh, he threw it. You were acting like you were like I'm ready. No, I'm not. Okay, now here's what's funny is there was a reaction. Okay, now here's what's here's what you didn't see. There's a guy sitting right in front of her. A guy. His, his name literally is Guy. That's true. It's Guy Moffley right here. He's on our dream team. Give Guy a great big hand. 
he ducked, okay? When I threw it, he was like, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. Action, reaction, okay? So there is an action. You do have a reaction. Even if you weren't ready and I bounced it off your head, there would be a reaction. We might get in a fight. I don't know what would happen. At that point, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. God bless you. I'm a pastor. Come on. i got to preach. Um, thanks, Sib. All right, just bring that back to the next services, okay? Um, don't take that home. We try to build a building, not buy basketballs. All right. Um, the point is, you have this innate, this nature inside of you. God gave you to respond. You can't help it. You will respond. Somebody, you ever had somebody fake throw a basketball, like fake it at you, and you're like, you're like, come on, quit it, man. Come on, come on. You're reacting. There is a reaction that God has created in you to the gospel. It demands a reaction. Now, here's what I would tell you. At all of our campuses, even those watching online, maybe you're listening to this podcast two years from now. You respond. You react. You just have to decide how you're going to react. We're launching a series called Patient Zero. And where that comes from is this idea of an outbreak. When a disease outbreaks, it affects a disproportionate large number of people in a society or a community. It can jump continents. It's just crazy. And what happens is they begin to search this outbreak all the way back down. They say, where did this come from? How did this develop? How did it happen? We need to know more about it. And they find that one person, that first person who this happened with, they find that first person and they call that person Patient Zero. Now, we're not going to talk about nasty plagues and horrible things because not all outbreaks are bad, okay? There, there can be an outbreak of love and an outbreak of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and long-suffering and self-control. And that is the fruit of the Spirit, and our patient zero is Jesus. And with enough time spent with Him, your reaction to things shifts and changes. Now, when I mention love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and long-suffering and self-control, if you're like, hey, that, like none of that stuff's in my life. Or maybe you're thinking none of that stuff's in his life or her life. <laughs> That's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you don't see the fruit, you have to check the root. So if your reaction is not God-designed, then it's probably you-designed. God called us to be patient zero, and it's important that we study the ultimate patient zero who radically changed the world. Do you realize why you're sitting here? You're sitting here because Jesus rose again. If Jesus hadn't rose again, none of this would matter. We wouldn't be here, but because he rose again, it proved everything that he said. So it forces us to study his life. Whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, Maybe you're on fire for God. Maybe you're lethargic. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you're an agnostic. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. All of us have a response. All of us do. And it's important that we study how Jesus lived his life. Now, I want you to notice this. It's important. Jesus rolls up into the synagogue. He opens the book and he reads from Isaiah chapter 11. Now, here's what's amazing. Isaiah chapter 11 is talking about the Messiah and Jesus, as the Messiah, reads it first person. This is so awesome. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I want you to notice. And by the way, side note, newsflash, your boy fired up today. Okay? So we're going to get after it and preach, all right? But I want you to notice how many action statements are in Jesus' mission statement. None of it is passive. 
None of it is lethargic. None of it is melancholy. None of it is chill out. Notice how all of it is front-footed, forward-facing, moving forward. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Aren't you grateful for his incredible mission statement that affects your life? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Nothing about this is passive. None of it. He never says, I have been called to live in the blessings of myself. I have been called to receive blessings and enjoy my life. Never says that. In fact, he knows that he is called to die. That ought to give you a signal of how our life should be lived. He was not on this earth to be blessed. This, uh, is it okay if I just preach? Good, because I'm just going to wear back and preach, okay? The scourge of the American church is our addiction to blessings. And we live our life based on our blessings. And our faith is based on our blessings. When that is not what our life or our faith should be based on. Our life and our faith should be based on the fact that Jesus saved me and everything else is a bonus. And if he never does anything else, he doesn't have to. I'm just grateful that he did. And I'm grateful for all the blessings. But I cannot live my life for the blessings. The challenge is sometimes we get our life so focused on the blessings that we forget the blesser. And I don't want us to do that at Hope City. I want us to get fired up and say my purpose is not to just stand in your blessings. And I receive blessings. I'm not against blessing. I don't think that you should live a life of suffering. But I do think that suffering will probably be a part of your life. And in the midst of suffering, you should still keep your eyes on the Savior. And trust that just because you're going through something doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. That God's punishing you. And God hates you. Just say, hey, listen, it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. But God is still good. And I'm not living for this earth. I'm living for, I'm preaching like I'm on fire today fired up about what God is doing in our world, but you have to realize it's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Some of y'all been wanting to say that to him for years. (laughs) The mission of Jesus so infuriates the leaders of the church during that day. Not all of the Jewish people were up in arms But many of the Jewish leaders were up in arms. I thank God for the Jewish people who received Christ because because of them that we have this gospel. I'm so grateful for that. But some of the Jewish leaders of the day were infuriated because of who Jesus was hanging out with. He was hanging out with publicans and sinners. It means nothing to you, but I want want to put it in context. Jesus, and we talked about it last weekend, he's hanging out with Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, he, he, he calls Matthew to be a disciple, and Matthew is a tax collector, and that means nothing to you. Or maybe it means, oh, oh, God, help me. I don't know. Or maybe you cheat on your taxes. That's a sin, too. So just making sure you're praying through that. But, but back in those days, the tax collectors worked for the Roman Empire, and they taxed the Jewish people, and so they would tax the percentage that Rome declared, and then they could add whatever they wanted to on top of that, and the Roman, uh, the Roman soldiers would back that up, and they could keep whatever they were. So they were getting fat off of their own people. So these people, like if a tax collector tried to bring an offering to the synagogue, it would not be received because the money was dirty. And these are the people Jesus is calling to be his disciples. And some of y'all thought, there's no way God would use me. Hey, you might actually be a disciple. You never know. 
Jesus rolls up and it infuriates the people. In fact, they get so mad at him, they start declaring, what are you doing? You're, you're going to the house of sinners that you've allowed a woman of ill repute to touch your feet and, and pour oil on your feet and anoint your feet and wash your feet. And, and if you knew, they were thinking, if you knew what manner of woman this was, he knew. That's who he came for. He said in Luke, he said, I came to seek. Notice how active it is. I came to seek, not hope they find me. Like, it ain't hiding, seeking, Jesus is hiding. You hiding, he's seeking. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's so good with leaving the 99 to go and find the one. Some of us are so intent on being the fed 99. Jesus, feed me. And he's saying, no, I love you, but you're found. I'm looking, I'm looking for the lost one. I'm looking for, have you ever, have you ever lost your, like, you're in, like when we had, so we had Jaden and Jesse and then Jillian came along, okay? And so when Jillian, we, we kind of forgot how kids like can get around and get in places and, and we had the baby gates everywhere. And I remember the day that Jillian learned how to climb the baby gates and we lost her. You ever had that moment? Like you lose a kid, like you don't know where your kid is. You ever had that moment? Maybe you're in the mall, you're like, ah! And like your whole world stops. And I remember me and Jen were like freaking out. We're like, where's Jillian? Oh, God. Oh, just check the front door. Oh, God. Oh, God. Where's she at? Oh, and my, my other kids are like, we're hungry. I'm like, feed yourself. Because I was not concerned with the found ones. I was concerned with the lost one. I got five kids. Five. I'm tired. If I lose my kid in the mall or somewhere, I'm not like, well... I got four more, you know, so we're good. Let's go home, guys. Where's the baby? I don't know. He'll, we'll find him. We'll see. Maybe he'll make his way home. No, Jesus is not as interested in the found ones as he is in the lost ones. That's why he leaves the 99 and the church should not be so concerned with ourselves that we forget about the lost ones. Can I tell you this? I am, and I love you. I love you. I love you. Pastor loves you. But I'm so much more interested in reaching people than keeping people. I want to reach the lost people. Why do you think we rent a 10,000 seater for Easter? It's not so we can put on a big production and so that you guys can see me in a white flashy suit and roll out there with my thing. That's not, that's not the goal. The, everything that we do is designed for lost people. That's what Jesus was interested in. That's what he was eating up with. He had a passion for it. He didn't care what anybody thought about him. Now, I'm going to mess with your theology a minute, okay? Mess with your envisioning of Jesus. Because sometimes we see Jesus in the robe and the beard and talking like this. Why is Jesus always weird in the movies? But anyway, Jesus is the guy, like, just stay here. Don't, don't get up and get offended and leave. But if you do, it's okay. We need your seat. All right. Picture this. Jesus walks into a bar. Sounds like a joke. Jesus, walk, Jesus walks into a bar. And they know who he is. They're like, hey, Jesus. How you doing? I love this guy. He always tells me he loves me. It's crazy. I don't understand, but he always says, I love you. And it's weird. Hey, Jesus, we're playing Texas Hold'em. You want to play? And Jesus is like, no, it wouldn't be fair. He's like, Jesus, Bartholomew's over here cleaning house. Somebody bring Jesus an unleaded daiquiri. Hey, Fredo, bring Jesus a cannoli. I love this guy. 
Jesus is hanging out with the mafia, man. He's in there with wild, crazy sinners that you wouldn't want to hang out with. Here's what's crazy. He walks in the same and he walks out the same. But whenever he walks out, everybody else is changed because that's what Jesus does. He changes the environment. He changes hearts from the inside out. And it freaked the church and the religious leaders of the day out. It's action, reaction. They loved him or they hated him. Nobody was in between on Jesus. Nobody was like, <laughs> either way. Have you noticed it's still the same? Nobody's just either way on Jesus. Everybody has a strong opinion on Jesus or Christianity. Have you noticed how unpopular it's become to be a Christian? Why do you think it's become so unpopular to become a believer in Jesus when everybody else kind of leaves the other religions alone? Not throwing rocks at all the other religions, but you want me to tell you why it's become unpopular to be a Christian? Because all the powers of hell are against what we have, and it's so important that we hold so dear to this faith. I'm loud and I'm proud about who I am. Oh, but what if people think I'm weird? That's okay. You're weird anyway. I want to make a statement and it's a strong statement. You cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. At some point, you have to realize I'm not living my life for me. Listen, some, if people on your job don't know you're a believer, there ain't no such thing as a secret service, okay? I'm a covert Christian, you know. I'm on the SEAL team. Like, I put on a fake beard. People have no idea. Secretly, no. People should know who you are. And I'm not asking you to be a weird and crazy Christian. They've actually done more damage than good. Oh, sinner. No, no, no. You're judging the wrong people, chief. We're supposed to love the world. Now, I don't have time to preach this. We are supposed to judge our brothers and our sisters. Oh, I didn't get but two amens on that. No, it's judge not lest ye be judged. That's the problem. We don't have anybody telling us that we are wrong. We don't want anybody judging us. And that is, oh, I'm preaching right now up in here on a weekend. That, that. That, that helps me get to where I'm trying to go. I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to help you understand. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. If you, read, if you read your part, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then he says, Therefore, go. He's talking to you. He's talking to us. He says, Go. Notice how active it is. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the way, at all of our campuses this weekend, you can be baptized after every service. And we're going to be baptizing hundreds of people on Easter weekend. There's no better weekend to get baptized than Easter weekend, man. It says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Notice, it's so active. It's not like, go and get people to come to church, and you're done. No, 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 no. It's go make disciples. Why do you think we ask you after we give a salvation prayer, stay seated because we have a next step? Why? Because we're trying to make disciples. I have, I have zero interest in building a crowd. None. I could do that as a motivational speaker. I've done it before. I used to do motivational speaking, keynote addresses where you couldn't talk about Jesus. I can do that. That's not my job. 
My job is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to teach you. And listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. Don't take my word for it. Okay? Don't just trust your pastor. I'll just trust whatever he says. Don't do that. Because this word says study to show yourself approved. I'm not trying to get you to have faith in me. I'm trying to get you to have faith in Jesus that changes your life on a daily basis. I'm feeling this so passionately. I hope y'all are feeling what I'm feeling. I just... God's trying to shift something in our church. I'm telling you, there is a shift coming in our church, and it is a good shift. We're getting ready to see more and more people giving their lives to Jesus. We're getting ready to have a whole bunch of babies being delivered, and I'm not talking about pregnancies unless that's what you're praying for. In Jesus' name, let that happen. But it's our job to level up. Do what God has called us to do. This is why we tell you to go to the growth track. Go to the growth track. We're not trying to grow our church. We're trying to grow you so that you can actually do what God has called you to do. In fact, Easter weekend, we're starting a new series called Hey Siri. Because so many people want to know what God's will is. How cool would it be if you could just say, hey, Siri, what's God's will for my life? You know what I mean? It's time for us to discover what God has called us uniquely designed us to do and walk in it. Well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked because you find that the disciples were wondering the same thing. How do we walk in what God has called us to do? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We are a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then notice what he says, and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Say, I'm a witness. You know what a witness is? All of our campuses. Here's what a witness is. A witness is somebody who says what they saw. That's it. If you are called to be a witness, then all all they're going to do is ask you questions and you just say what you saw. Notice it doesn't say, and I will make you great theologians of the gospel. You will be walking Bibles. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you would be able to win any debate on Instagram. It doesn't say that. It says you'll just be witnesses. What does that mean? That means you don't even have to know a Bible verse. I want you to, but you don't have to. You just have to have an experience with God and just tell people about your experience with God. Well, I'm going to need scientific proof. I don't have any proof, but I just tell you he changed my life. Well, you're going to have to explain it. I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you he changed my life. Well, how do you know God is real? I don't know how to know. I just know in my heart that God is real because it, it changed my life. Do you know how hard it is to argue with somebody who's had an experience? A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with just knowledge. When I have an experience with what God is, you ought to have seen me back then and where I am now and what he's done for me. I can't explain it, but he changed me. Why are you so passionate? Because he's done a work in my life. And I'm, I'm preaching scripture too. Because the disciples were not super smart guys. Okay? In fact, very clearly in the scripture, it says they were the opposite. Acts chapter 4, somebody over here went, oh. Like the disciples are looking over like, hey, easy. Acts 4.13, 
when they saw. So Peter and John are up preaching and powerful things are happening. Now I want you to notice, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they weren't super powerful. They were kind of scared. They were always messing it up. They were questioning Jesus. They didn't understand things. And then all of a sudden you start reading the book of Acts. And these guys who were worried and scared and hiding after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all of a sudden they are endued with power or filled with power from on high. And they become stalwart, I mean strong powerhouses for God. You read it. It says... Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, like they could tell, they were unschooled, ordinary men. And the King James Version says they were ignorant and unlearned. The Texas Version says they're ignorant. Oh, I just ignorant. They were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. Something shifts when you spend time with the real patient zero. You don't become the smartest person in the world. You don't become the most eloquent speaker in the world. But when you have a real raw experience with Jesus Christ, people will notice. People will say, I don't know what's different about you. but And that's what God's called us to. If you're taking notes, write this down. We are all called to catch and carry something. So the question that I have for you is what are you carrying how did you catch it? And I have an answer for you because you're all contagious with something. Your spirit is contagious. You're carrying something that's contagious. I want you to turn to your neighbor, look at him and just laugh. Go. <laughs> okay, calm down. Some of y'all are laughing way too hard. Now, here's what's funny. I didn't even tell a joke. I literally didn't tell a joke. I just told you to laugh. I told, I was like, hey, laugh. Now that's, go try that with your neighbor. Like, hey, laugh. They're like, why? But when you look at somebody and somebody else is like, then you're like, what are we laughing at? I don't know. It's funny. I'm laughing. It's contagious. Your spirit is contagious. You're catching this somewhere. You're ca- whatever you're carrying, you caught it somewhere. I'm going to ask you a question. Here's a poll. How many of you, your, your mama used to tell you, you better put on a jacket or you're going to go outside and catch a cold? Raise your hand. Not medically true. I wish I'd have known this when I was a kid. I'd been like, nope, not going to catch a cold outside. Problem is, my mama's a thug. She'd have been like, well, you're going to be cold then. <laughs> I'd be like, it's hypothermia. I told you you'll catch something. <laughs> Medically, you do not catch a cold when you go outside. No amens. That's funny. Like y'all are like, mm. I need to see chapter and verse. <laughs> Google it. I'm telling you, you don't catch a cold when you go outside. You catch hypothermia. You catch frostbite. But you don't catch a cold when you go outside. You catch a cold when you come inside around people who have a cold. Well, why? Then why? Then why is it that we all catch colds when it's cold? Because more people are inside. I can tell some of y'all don't believe me. Don't trust me. Study it. You catch a cold because some brother sneezes in your face. That's because somebody's like, how you? How you doing? You're like, don't, mm, fist bump. So when we high five at Hope City, like, bam, okay, not long enough to get the germs. You catch a cold based on who you're around. True story. You catch whatever you're carrying based on who you're around. So here's my question. Who is your patient zero? Who did you catch the attitude that you're carrying from? Who did you catch the spirit that you're carrying from? Well, that's just how I am. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. 
You hung around somebody that imparted that to you. Well, I'm just real. Yeah, you're just real negative. Where'd that come from? You ought to ask yourself, if I don't have the joy of the Lord as my strength, what am I carrying? Because some of us are carrying things that the world doesn't want. And we call ourselves Christians. That's actually part of the problem. Is some of the Christians who actually don't represent Christ nor the fruit of the Spirit, but call themselves Christian and love to judge all the wrong people. Hey, judge everybody else. At some point, you, you got to look in your life and you got to have somebody else that looks in your life and judges you. Nobody can judge me but God. God have mercy on your soul then. Listen, I kind of want like a whole bunch of people in between me and him to help me get right before I stand before him. Only God can judge me. That's the mantra of a generation that doesn't have the fear of God. The fear of God has become a brand and not a real thing. That's why it's got to become a real thing. You got to have somebody in your life who knows you and somebody who knows you. Somebody who K-N-O-W's you and somebody who N-O's you. I have that in my life. You heard him a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris Hodges. Didn't he do a phenomenal job preaching at our church? I love my pastor. I give my pastor access in my life to tell me no. To look at me and say, Jeremy, you're wrong. I am a man of authority under authority. I am not the singular leader of our church. Aren't you glad? Calm down. That glad. Lady over there is like, yes. Thanks, ma'am, for the vote of confidence. We have a board member. We have elders. We have people who speak in our life. I'm a non-voting member of our board. I can set the agenda, but I can't vote on anything. There's safety in that. You got to have somebody in your life whose voice is stronger than yours. That's the problem with our generation is so many people say, well, I'm a grown man. Nobody tells me what to do. And that's the problem. Nobody's looking at you and saying, no, I don't have time to really preach on this whole judging thing. We are not supposed to judge the sinners, but we are supposed to judge the saved. We are supposed to look at each other and say, hey, hey, help me. I need help in my life. Ken, help Ken's in my group. Hey, Ken, can you help me be a better man? Can you help me be a better father? Can you look in my life? That's why I have a group. I'm a pastor, and I have a group, and my group strengthens me and helps me. And then this week, I'm going for two days. I'll be back next weekend to preach, but I'll be gone for two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, and I'll be with all pastors, and they're going to be strengthening me, and I'm going to be strengthening them. You better have somebody in your life. That's why we have groups. You ought to get in a group, specifically a freedom group. If you've never gone through a freedom group, you ought to go through a freedom group and change your life. Listen, you got to know who your patient zero is. Even, even the business world understands this thing. Jim Rohn, unbelievable business professional, said this. He said, you'll have the combined health, attitude, and income of the five people you hang around the most. Not the people that you, that you listen to their podcasts or read their books or retweet their phrases. The five people that you are hanging around with every week. You have the combined health, attitude, and income. Some of you are like, hmm. Bye. <laughs> I'm playing at some point, even Jesus did this. Before he even did his first recorded miracle, he had a group of 12 that he hung with. And then he had three that were tighter. And then he had one that was very close. So Jesus, well, I'm called to reach the lost. Yes, you are called to reach the lost, but you're not called to be the lost. And the problem is some of us are hanging out with so many lost people that we are more like them than they are like us. You have to have a group that you run back to and say, hey, give me strength. I'm going to pray, help me, and then I'm going to go out and reach, and then I'm going to come back in. you got to have this. It's the example of Christ. It's so important that we get this because some things are taught and some things are caught. 
And I'm teaching you as much as I can teach you. And I think you ought to be in church. I think you ought to be in church every weekend. The church has not become prioritized in our generation because we travel and we do all this thing. And I think you ought to watch online. I love that. I think you ought to download the podcast. And I, I love that. But I also think you ought to find a church and you ought to get in the church and you ought to be committed and you ought to serve. I think that's important for you to do. The Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's important for us to do that because you come back and you get a strength in that and you'll get taught some things. But then you need to be around the right people because you'll catch some things. My parents used to frustrate me because they prayed all the time. And as a kid, that was frustrating. We'd be on a long road trip. I've told you this before. We'd be on a long road trip. Two o'clock in the morning, dad's driving. Everybody in the car is trying to sleep and he's pounding on the steering wheel praying. Like in a kind of a soft voice. I almost would have rather him be like, right now in the name of Jesus. Because I'd, be, I'd be okay with that. But he was like, Lord, right now, Jesus, we love you. Pounding on the steering wheel. Oh, God, you're good. Oh, God, we need you to come through for a Oh, Lord. And I'm like, please, God, answer his prayer or give him laryngitis. I'm trying to sleep back here. <laughs> I told you before, my mama will pray over anything. My mama prays over parking places. That is the truth. She did it in December at Christmas. We had to go to Kroger's. We pulled over the threshold. I'm driving. We pull over the threshold of the parking lot. My mom was like, give us a good parking place, Lord. Like six people back out. People are leaving. They ain't even ready to go. One dude's shoplifting milk. He's like, I didn't even pay for this. I don't... That, that didn't happen, but that's funny. She prays over everything. Used to drive me crazy until I got older and I realized I had caught something. Because now I walk through our house and on long road trips, I'm saying, Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you. And it drives my kids crazy. And I'm so glad about that because I'm hoping that they'll catch it. You're catching something from who you're around. What are you catching? What are you, con- what are you carrying? What are you contagious with? Paul was a carrier. Paul was a patient zero. I love the writings of Paul. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here. Let me give you context. He's in prison. He's in a really bad prison. And this is his perspective. Everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here. I say everyone. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul is weird. He's in prison. And he's got this crazy perspective of what could God do in here. He's not going, God, get me out of here. Why am I here? He said, everything that's happened here is spreading the good news. Even the palace guards, that's weird. I can't even keep it together when Whataburger takes too long. (laughs) Side note, why does Whataburger take so long and Chick-fil-A takes so fast? I think Chick-fil-A needs to sprinkle some of that anointing on Whataburger. Wait 28 minutes in line at Whataburger and Chick-fil-A. I don't even know I ordered I'm already past the drive through They wiped a smudge off my mouth, told me they believed in me, and handed me a chicken sandwich. I'm like. <laughs> and Paul is in prison saying, yeah. Woo. Now, most theologians believe that at that point he was in Rome and he was in the Mamertine prison, which under the Mamertine prison flows what they call Cloesa Maxima, which means the greatest sewer. In the lowest cell of that prison, when, the, when it rained, the sewer overflowed and ran through the lowest cell. And that's where they believe Paul was. 
You can find the cell, uh, pictures of it online. There's a hole in it, and they would lower the prisoner with a rope around his chest. They would lower him into that prison, into that cell, and they would keep that rope on him so they could pull him up when the sewers overflowed. <laughs> and this is where Paul is saying, everything that's happened to me here, that's a bad situation. But that's a guy who's not living for blessings. He's living for purpose. And he understands my purpose. And every situation is to change the lives of the people that are around me. And traditionalist theologians believe that they had to change the guards every hour on the hour. Because if they left a guard around Paul for longer than an hour, he would convert him. Because Paul understood the power that was at work on the inside of him. God help us. God's called you. God's called me. God has called us. You can choose to be patient zero for hope. You can choose to carry love and joy and peace. You can choose to share Christ with those around you. But it's up to you. You get to decide. Somebody needs you. Jesus said you are the light of the world. You. Everybody say me. Me. All campuses say it. Say me. Me. I'm, I'm the light of the world. I want to tell you something I think is very important for you to hear. I cannot reach your friends and family. That's not my calling. So please stop putting that responsibility on ministers. Every member is a minister. Every person who has been saved has a responsibility. That Jesus goes on to say, you're a city set. Set, that word in the Greek means providentially placed, divinely placed. You were set where you are on purpose. You weren't randomly placed in your family. You're not randomly at your job. You're not randomly in Houston area. You're not randomly wherever you are, driving in your car, whatever city or country that you're in. You're not randomly there. You were placed on purpose to make a difference. So don't hide the light that God has placed on the inside of you and hope that somebody else does it. God placed you there for a purpose and for a reason. Oh, God, help us to be passionate about what you've called us to do. He's placed you in a church. I want you to think about this. Look at the first church. Look at the early church. It's unbelievable what they were doing. The Bible says they have all things in common. They're unified. They're reaching other people. Entire regions come to Christ in a matter of weeks and years. Thousands come to Christ daily. It's great. In fact, they were so powerful that they had to convince people that they weren't gods. What happens when a group of people get so fired up, they come together and they say, God, whatever you want to do, use us. Here's what happens. Hope City. 27,000 people in four years get saved. That's what happens when people get excited. Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me do a test. All campus, I'm going to do a test right now. Here's a test for you, okay? All right. How many of you, somebody told you about Hope City, or you read about Hope City, or you heard about Hope City before you came? Raise your hand. Hold your hand up high. Look around. All campuses, look around. Look around. Hundreds of people raising their hands. Okay, put your hands down. Now, how many of you have posted about Hope City, talked about Hope City, told somebody about Hope City? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. That right, keep them up, look around. That right there is why our church is growing because somebody's getting excited and telling somebody else and somebody's getting excited and telling somebody else and you have become patient zero to somebody around you. So let's keep doing that. Why do we rent a big facility on Easter weekend just to see how big our church is? No! It's to reach lost people. 
I'm begging you, get every lost person that you can at Easter weekend, Easter at the... I'm begging you. And if they won't come there, take them to First Baptist or take them to Second Baptist or take them to Episcopal or Methodist, wherever they'll go. Get them somewhere where they will hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ because it is not about growing our church. It's about growing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So let's do that. I know. I I understand. I've been screaming this weekend. Kind of hurt my throat. Whatever. Passionate about it. You don't have to be as passionate, exuberant as me. But you do need to feel it in your chest that I have a responsibility. Somebody needs me. As we leave today, you'll receive invite cards for Easter at every campus. Take them. Share them. Invite somebody. About 75% of the people that you invite will come. Weirdly, they will come on Easter weekend. So bring them. All the information's on the website. Bring them. You think they just need to come to church? Yes! Why? Because we're preaching Jesus. And somebody brought you. You have a story. Somebody was your patient zero. Whose patient zero will you be? Jessica wrote me a letter this week. She said, growing up, my life was full of fear, worthlessness, depression, anger. After my parents divorced when I was 15, I began to mask the overwhelming pain with drugs and alcohol. I was high every day. Ecstasy, cocaine, LSD, marijuana, alcohol, anything to numb the pain and feel normal. My mom started drinking alcohol to cope with the divorce and I found myself at 15 taking care of an alcoholic mother while maintaining my own addictions and taking care of my little brother. Unexpectedly on October 10th, 1998, after a short six-month battle, My father died of pancreatic cancer, leaving an even bigger void to fill. I began to seek out the attention of men to fill the emptiness that drugs and alcohol couldn't satisfy. I was 18 years old, and a female friend of mine told me that I was too beautiful to be working as a waitress at restaurants and took me to my very first gentleman's club right here in Houston. And I stayed in that dark place for 10 years. By 2001, I was a single mom raising a daughter while consumed with dark clouds of guilt and shame and rejection and hopelessness and pride and fear and worry and loneliness and addiction. As a child, I remember putting on an elementary time capsule that I aspired to be a WNBA basketball player. I never wanted to prostitute my body. No woman in that industry wants to be there. It's just day-to-day survival. I was a blackout drinker that would do a lot of cocaine to sober up to drive home at 3 a.m. four to five days a week. It was hell on earth. Fast forward to Thursday, October 19th, 2007, after a night filled with alcohol, cocaine, and meth, I woke up in a bar on top of a pool table. I gathered my things and made the dangerous 4 a.m. drive home. Later, I picked up my daughter, a five-year-old daughter from school, and couldn't sit beside her on the couch because I started to faint. And I didn't want to die in front of my daughter, so I paced back and forth in my apartment, waiting for my mom to come watch her. Then I drove myself to the emergency room. I was desperate for it all to just be over. I felt my body shutting down and I feared the worst. I deserved to hear, you're dying, you have liver cancer. But miraculously, the doctor came in with my blood results to inform me that I was just dehydrated and perfectly healthy. And at that moment, you never know what just a moment, just one act of kindness. In that moment, he gently placed a white warm blanket over me, told me I was going to be okay. And I felt the presence of God consume my body. And in that moment, I felt cleansed of all of my shame and guilt and desire to drink or use drugs. I gave my life to Christ and I physically felt him pull everything out from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And at that moment, I knew Jesus had died for me and I heard the Lord call me daughter. 
It was there in the hospital that my life changed forever. I knew that at that moment I had met my Savior and experienced God's amazing power of healing immediately. The old life was dead and I was made new. That day I was transformed, fully restored and redeemed by God's love, grace and forgiveness. Seven years after this life-changing moment, I found myself back in the same strip clubs I had worked in. But at this time, I was serving with a ministry that loved on the women, prayed with them, shared the gospel with them. And in 2016, I began attending Hope City. I automatically knew it was home. I started serving on the dream team as an usher coordinator. And in 2018, my mama walked into the doors of our church. She had been so bound for so many years by alcohol. And I watched her life radically change as I had the opportunity to baptize her. This was a miracle moment for me because I've been praying for my mama for 10 years. Now. My entire family attends the Cypress campus together, and I get to serve with my daughter and husband every weekend. Not only that, but now I get to lead a freedom group for single moms with someone that I used to work in the strip clubs with. I know that the pain I went through prepared me for the calling God has put on my life. I'm called to serve, encourage, and love broken women right where they are with the same love that Christ loved me. Jessica, you're patient zero. Come on, give her a great big hand cypress campus we're proud of you that's what it takes somebody saying somebody did it for me i have to go to you can stand at all of our campuses right now lord i thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice i pray god that you would grip our hearts with a passion to do what you've called us to do that we will not be lethargic We will not be melancholy about our mission. But we will be gripped by the plight of our world and realize our call is to speak hope into the darkness. And you give us the power to do so. With every head bowed and every eye closed at every campus, I'm going to ask you for about the next two to three minutes, all the way through this next prayer, not to go anywhere, not to leave yet. The next two or three minutes are the most important two or three minutes of our service. Because somebody's here. You're, you're, you're saying, that, that, that's me. I, but I need that, I need that day one. I need, I need that day. And today's your day to give your life to Jesus. To trust in him with your pain and your heartache and your sorrow and your frustration and your rejection. Here's the gospel. You're a sinner and you desperately need the grace and the mercy of God. And he's the only one that can save you. And so in this moment, I'm giving you an opportunity to make him the center of your life. But you have to choose. The Bible says when you acknowledge him, he will acknowledge you. When you put your trust and your faith in him with your heart and with your mouth, you declare Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead that he will forgive you of your sins. Save him. We're getting ready to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included in that prayer and you say, listen, that's me then boldly at every campus put your hand up and say I'm ready to put Jesus at the center of my life hands, 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 hands all over the room thank you, thank you, thank you what a commitment now every voice lift your voice boldly pray this with me Jesus you're the only one who can save me so in this moment right now I'm giving you my whole life forgive me of my sins I trust you with all I have and I know that you're my savior I'm asking you to come into my heart Change me from the inside out. And I will answer your call. And I will do what you have called me to do. 
and I will share hope with the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give him an ovation of worship.